0: powerful passage of scripture. If you don't understand the context to it, you don't necessarily really know what Paul's saying. Certainly, I'll do my very best to make that known to you here in a few short minutes. I felt my mind and my thoughts and my prayer time kind of shift from the word of faith based upon the conversation that I had with an individual in our church family that sparked something inside me that caused me to evaluate and look deeper at who I am personally and who our church is. And I've titled my message today. I want you to just follow it with me by looking around. Take just a moment, look around. If Alyssa was here like she was two weeks ago, she meant to say, touch two people. You know I mean? That's the thing that you do in some of the larger churches. You like touch two people and say, get ready, get ready, get ready, right? But look around for just a moment. I'm not talking about like this. I'm talking about like this. Look around. Here's the title of my message. Look who's back. Look who's back because there's more coming right there's more coming God's got good things that soar for us so look look around look who's back but get ready there's more coming Father in heaven I love you I'm grateful to be in this house thankful for my church family that's gathered here today and I pray Lord that you will illuminate our thoughts collectively the way you have illuminated my thoughts privately prayed this many times privately. I'll pray it once again publicly. Let preaching come easy in this house today. Grateful to be here. Grateful to have each and every one of us uh, gathered in this room. In Jesus' name, and everyone said amen and amen. As you're seated, I heard the faithful sound of our own Dr. Brasfield saying amen, and I appreciate he, Sister Kathy, oftentimes when they get to be in service with us, their life takes them around the world. I don't know if I've seen it yet, Dr. Brasso. I'm still waiting for that picture to make it to Facebook of our turkey hunt because he's got a classic picture of Dr. B taking a selfie. And I'm almost invisible against the tree. I'm just blended. I mean, I look like real tree right there. I mean, it is the real deal. No wonder we were successful. So I'll tell you that story later at a different time. But today I want to take a moment real quickly as we're going to jump into a My life evolves around the church. I'm just going to be honest. I've shared this with people many times. I don't have the gift of evangelism in the sense that it's not my greatest gifting. It should be in the heart of every person to willingly and openly share your faith. But I want to be honest with you. My greatest gifting is teaching and encouraging. Those are gifts that I've searched inwardly. I've found them in the Word of God. It becomes easy to me. Something that I can sharpen. It's a tool you know, when you're doing the most important task that God's given you to do, you want to use the tool that's the sharpest and the most capable. And if that's a gift inside my life that, that I can affect more people positively, then I need to make sure that I'm using that for the glory of God. I can be honest. There are times I can be a little bit intimidated in what the culture of what we would say the world because I spend the overwhelming majority of my time in the sheepfold. I'm working with God's people. That's not a bad thing. I love God's people. I may be the only one in the room today, but I love God's people. I love the diversity. Diversity is an overused word in our culture today, but it's not a word that that I'm afraid to use. I love the diversity of the body of Christ. I like the fact that we're not all the same. We don't all look the same, act the same, talk the same. We have a little bit difference. Even when we agree to certain precepts and principles that unite us together into a common fellowship of believers, it doesn't mean that we all ascribe to it exactly the same. You know what, me personally, I can handle that just a little bit. I can walk with you down a row we might see things a little bit different but we've got a common goal paul said i'm going to forget those things that are behind i'm going to press toward the prize of the mark of the high call of god in christ jesus and i want to be and do everything that i can do for the glory of god and i want to begin to address a little bit of something related to culturally and as i do is i'm going to go through this familiar story of the prodigal son but let me establish this as a baseline for just a moment one of the things that's very important to us pastors as we minister the Word is that we do so with biblical integrity. We want to make sure that we are not, the Bible warns us of twisting the Word of God or manipulating the Word of God. Did you know you can make the Bible become anything you want it to be, right? And you can use it and misuse it and you can, uh, you can actually just just tear it to pieces and I don't want to be guilty of Paul or as Peter said of twisting the scriptures, but this familiar passage to us here with the prodigal has been preached for two thousand years, and it's a passage of scripture that there are different bases of application. But, you know, there's a historical application that we see this as, as, as the sinners of the world coming to relationship with the Father through the analogy of Jesus' teaching. Certainly, if we put it in its first century context, you have to go back to the first verse of this passage to see who's the audience that Jesus is ministering to. It's not just those that are the, uh, the, the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, who that is a part of the context, but he's also addressing the Pharisees and the scribes. He's certainly addressing those that have went wayward of the Father's house, but he's also addressing those who have always been in what's supposed in their minds the Father's house but had a little different perspective and a little different interaction with the lost. And so in that sense, I want to recognize that. I want to honor it. But I do believe God's got a word from that passage for us today. I mean, I believe that we can have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I do want to talk just a little bit about the church and what happens in the community. We have to strive for a community. If the church is nothing more than just a building where you attend occasionally, then we have failed in our endeavor. We have to build a community here inside these four walls and beyond. We have to build relationships. You have to be able to see me as a pastor. I can't just be the preacher on Sunday to you. I have to have interaction and relationships. I have to respect you, and you have to respect me. I have to value who you are, what God's done in your life, and you have to value the five-fold ministry of apostle and prophet and evangelist and pastor and teacher in order for this thing to work effectively. If it doesn't, if we don't develop community, we'll never be able able to be the church that jesus prophesied that we would be what is that church it's a triumphant church that the bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against it and so community is a very important thing and so in this particular passage when you think about this for just a moment there is a context of sin that is exposed in this passage what is sin? Sin is simply missing the mark. That's what it's defined in the original language. The apostle John in his epistle said that sin was transgression of the law. And so sin has as, as many and We understand that. And we know that there's depths to it. And there's sins of omission, sins of commission. There's layers to sin and depths to sin. But we all have struggled with sin. Right? Let's just be honest. There's not anybody in here who was ever sinless. And even as you're born again, I'm not saying that there's not t- issues in your life that we can label as sin, that you're growing and learning how to overcome. I mean, you know, that's a part of the Christian walk. But the reality of sin in the life of a fellowship, let me just take to you uh, into the the, the community for a moment. When a member of the fellowship slips back into a lifestyle of sinning. Now let's think about that. Perhaps even a, now you can argue the theology if you want to, we're not going to today. But when someone that I believe is genuinely born again, communion with God, falls prey to the deceitfulness of sin. I don't necessarily believe that that person understands fully how their individual sin harms the entire fellowship. Let me explain what I mean by that. I don't know if that, well, can I use the term backslider today? Can I, do, I know that's kind of an antiquated term that we use, but it's still got truth uh, associated with it. It's unaware that their choices are actually negatively affecting the whole. Paul said a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. And Oftentimes when someone who is active in the community of believers becomes uh, deceived by the deceitfulness of sin, it's not long before they often slip away from church, slip away from the fellowship. And I don't know if they fully understand what their absence is doing to the local body of Christ. Let me go and go a little bit further. Let me say this to you today. I don't know who's here, but nobody can replace you. Somebody can sit in your seat. Somebody can be trained to take up your ministry calling, but they can never fulfill it to your greatest capacity because your gifts and your callings are unique to you. We'll never be the same without you. Well, I'm going to go on. Our church is never going to be the same. The kingdom of God is never going to be the same. Let me go a little bit farther if one person is put away for the purpose of separation that's the text in 1 Corinthians 5 that I'm going to allude to here in a few moments whether that person is put away because of open blatant sinful behavior they're unwilling to deal with it unwilling to be repentant of it and a church had to make a very difficult decision to separate from someone uh, whose lifestyle was contrary to the biblical principles that the community of believers holds dear whether that is a person was put away or If an individual just slowly drifted away because of the result of the lure of the world or spiritual negligence or offense or whatever the reason, here's the reality. The body is harmed. The body of believers is harmed. The absence is noticeable. You and I can go on, but our body is not as strong. Our body is not as strong. It's not as healthy. It's not as happy. It's not as impacting. It's not as functioning uh, effectively as it should be without you. Let me tell you, you matter to God and you matter to us today. And so I want you to begin to see that a person's individual choices affect the whole of the body. And I was looking at this famous passage of Scripture with the story of the prodigal. And I looked at it a little bit different. They call that spinning the text in in the scriptural sense. The parable of the prodigal only tells of the wayward son's riotous living in the far country, right? That's the picture that we get. The young man says to his father, Father, divide the inheritance with me, please. There's two sons. The teaching that Jesus is making here, certainly a contrast is obvious to us. The younger son, after many days then, takes the resources into what we label the far country. And while they're in the far country, he lives a sinful life. Right? We get that picture. We get that picture. It's brief. It's only a few verses. But we get the picture of a sinful life. We get mental images of partying. We get mental images of drinking. We get mental images of fornicating and adulterating and promiscuity and all the things that flood our little mind of what the life of the younger son must have been like when he was in the far country. As long as he had money, he was living it up. As long as he had resources, he was everybody's friend. But when his resources ran out, we know what happens to him. But we don't often think about is that there was a noticeable absence in the father's house. There was a noticeable absence because that father was used to interacting with two young men. Two young men that he helped dream dreams with. Two young men that he helped cast a vision for their future. Two young men that that used to ascribe to achieve and to do things together, and now there's only one person in that conversation with him. Let me go a little bit farther because have I lost volume? I've lost a little bit here in my monitor. It would help me just a little bit if you can. Let me go ahead a little bit farther than this. We don't really get that glimpse into the life, but think about this for a moment. The seat at the dinner table is now always empty. Conversations. I love conversations on the front porch. Do you? Me and Sherry got a front porch now. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And I enjoy sitting on the front porch and conversations. But what about, you know, the Bible told us in the Hebrew culture that fathers were to talk to their children when they were walking down the road, when they're laying down at night. And and so And as this young man grew, the father was able to do that. And now he doesn't have that young man to share that conversation with on the porch, in the yard, under a shade tree. Everything's now a little bit different. Here's also the reality. Labor is now harder. Ecclesiastes says this, two are better than one. My biggest question is, how come I was allowed to buy a farm now that it's just me and Sherry? (laughs) I had six sets of hands, three strong sons, and now they're gone around the world. And it's me and Sherry out there all the time. And you know what? That's a little glimpse into the personal aspect. What about the families, this will help you cast the light of this. What about the family that has experienced the empty nest? I'm going to tell you, the good things in life are not as rewarding without your family to share with it. So the father has experienced trauma and loss. And here's the reality. In the kingdom of God, in the church, it's the same. We can have new people come in, but we live every day with the sting of loss from the people that have left. Now let me ask y'all something today. How come you're not responding better than what you're doing right now? Is there some, Are you planning tonight? Are you planning tomorrow? God's got a word on time today, church family, because I want you to look around and I want you to say, look who's back because I'm telling you, more are coming. There are more prodigals out there that God's going to bring back to us. I believe that with all of my heart. But we've got to shift some things in our heart and mind to create a culture and an environment for them to want to come back to the house of God. Come back to the family of God. So we only get a glimpse into the home. The only glimpse that we get is as the prodigal returned. The scripture says when he was a great way off, his father saw him. So that indicates to us that the father often looked gazingly out over the horizon. Hoping that one day he would see the silhouette of a lone figure returning from the far, from the far country. To the Father's house. And so I began to think about that and I began to put that in the context of the sheepfold today. Let me ask you a few. things. These are some of the observations I've made. What makes people leave? I love the church. I don't want to leave. But what makes people leave? What makes people that we know, you know, that were just on fire, that were faithful and that were vibrant, and that they were on the platform or they were driving the van? Or they were serving and ministering. They were the greeter, Jason, the foyer with a smile and warmth and love. And over a period of time, it might be weeks, it might be months, it could even be years. We look around and we go, where are they today? What makes people leave? In the parable, it's obvious. It was the lure of the world that captivated the young man's affection. Correct? How many of you know that lure is still present today? How many you know it's still there today? The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that's not going to change. As long as we're in the world, there's going to be an appeal to the carnal side of us, isn't it? And we've got to learn to guard ourselves from it. But that's not the only uh, thing that causes people to leave the fellowship. For others in the church, it's often a slow drift. Perhaps it's business. Perhaps they get used to, you know, well, I've got a lot going on and, I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and they start missing Sunday services. Let me tell you, I don't care how good the televangelist is. You can watch John Hagee, T.D. Jakes, Jensen Franklin. I don't care how good that list is. It's not like being in a live service. With men and women of like precious faith, with a warm body standing beside you, a bearded worship leader on the platform, and a ruggedly handsome, very youthful-looking pastor standing in front of you every Sunday, ministering the Word of God to your life, there's nothing like it. But for whatever reason, the enemy dupes us into believing that we're gonna be okay without it. And for whatever reason, it might be it might be business trips, it might be the loss of value in corporate worship. Unfortunately, some people get offended. Some people get offended over the pettiest of reasons, and it's difficult. Other people, attention has shifted to someone else. A long-time believer feels underappreciated. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And they're not celebrated. And so, therefore, they stop participating in the life of the fellowship. Most times in the church, here's what happens. It's not an abrupt leaving and then a sinful life. Rather, it's an overlap for a period of time. Here for a while, gone for a while. Here, serving God for a while, then gone for just a little while. Here at the church one weekend, the next weekend kind of clubbing or partying. I know people still do that. The generation by gone, they used to call it honky-tonking. Now, they, my generation, they kind of called it clubbing. I don't know what they call it now. But they're here for a while, and then they're back. Here for a while, or what about maybe, well, I'm just going to the lake for a couple weekends out of the month. Back and forth, back and forth, till the heart for a season grows harder. The Bible warns about the deceitfulness of sin. And it also warns about our own heart's ability to deceive us as well. Let me say this about the prodigal. The prodigal's heart was gone long before his bags were packed. And so church family, next I want to take a moment and talk about what about the folks who drift away pull away or leave, and then they justify their choices. God wants me happy. Sometimes I tell you, I could give you, I could unscroll for you a list this along that people make for this reason or that reason to justify what I would call sinful choice. Some say things like this. I'm okay. I'm not sinning. I just need a little time alone right now. Pastor, there's a lot of hypocrisy down at the church right now. There's a lot. I'm so sanctified, I'm going to sit at home. I'm so, I don't, you know, there's a lot, people are saying this and that, but you know, I just don't want that to get in me, and I'm just, I'm not going to come in amongst those people because I, it grease my spirit. Don't give me all that spiritual. I don't want to hear that. You are justifying your action that can be just as bad as somebody else's reason. I don't want to, don't get me off on that today, or I'll really get stirred up here today. Some folks got this mindset that says, I'll just worship God at home. And I want to say that you can, and you should, On Sunday mornings, yes. At 6 o'clock when you get up. And at 7 o'clock when you're starting breakfast. And at 8 o'clock when you're getting dressed. And at 9 o'clock you ought to be dancing and worshiping God. So that when you get here by 9.30 you're fired up for God. Ready to worship in the presence of the living God. Yes, I agree. Worship God at home. Here's the biggest one that people use as an excuse for their lack of involvement in the community of the church. God loves me. Whether I go to church or not, and I still love God, that's all good. I'm I'm with you there, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that the body suffers when you're not here. Can I say that again? The body suffers. We'll never be as strong as we could be without you. Did y'all hear that today? We'll never be as effective, we'll never be as dynamic, we'll never be as evangelistic as we should be if you're not here doing your part for the glory of God. So here's my question. So the prodigal story is extreme, absolutely. He wasted his heritage. We read it. He wasted his inheritance on riotous living, harlotry, partying, drinking, promiscuity, whatever, a little drug action, a little gambling, on and on. You get the picture. And many do still fall prey to those same temptations. But as I said, but not all others. It's just a slowly backing away and pulling away. But what I want to do is I want to flip that today. I want to say, well, what can make people want to come back? Because I want to see them come back. Tattered, torn, broken, hurting, wounded. I don't care how they get back. I want to see them come back. I want to see them come back because there's more in the Father's house than you can ever have in the far country. What can make people want to come back? The text revealed that there was a famine in the land. The famine exposed the true nature of the prodigal. What do you mean by that? Let me tell you this. It exposed the prodigal's true nature. Pastor, what do you mean? A sinner never gets enough sin. Be very careful of judging the seed that's in somebody based upon the actions and the things that they're doing. Because you have to be very, very careful. Because I know That there are times that people get deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. By deep inside, there is a yearning of the Holy Spirit that's wanting to go back to the Father's house. And so in this context, the text revealed the famine in the land. The famine exposed the true nature of the prodigal. A sinner never gets enough sin. But a backslider, one of God's children gone astray, deep down, he still desires communion with God. Deep down, he's longing for the fellowship that he once enjoyed. I can guarantee you when that prodigal was parting up in the far country, deep down in the recesses of his mind, he hadn't forgotten what it was like to sit on the front porch with his father, to walk in the yard, to go uh, fish it in the afternoon. He had not forgotten of the community and the communion that he had with his father, and neither had those, neither have those in our relationships that used to be a part of our church, and now they're back in the world, but they haven't forgotten. Because God's spirit won't let them forget. Won't let them. So the famine. said, what was the famine? The famine was a life event that God used to awaken the young man's soul. You believe in that? And I've seen it happen. For many people that have known God, communed with God, and drifted, it's often a life event that will turn them back to the church, turn them back to the Father's house. Let me tell you what about, I know a little bit about God, what little I do. God will wait on you patiently for your return, but he yearns for you. Did y'all hear that? He yearns for you today, and if he has to, he'll dry up some resources. Did y'all catch that? He'll dry up some things. If he's got to do that to get your attention, whatever he's got to do, he'll dry it up. Let me tell you what God will do. God will use the sorrow of sin to lead us to repentance. Can I say that one more time? God will use, there is sorrow. Sin has consequences. Let me say that again. Sin has If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. God is God of seed time and harvest. Every act of transgression the young man committed was a seed sown. You say, Pastor, what was his harvest? His harvest was longing for the husk in the mouths of the swine that ate while his belly ached in hunger. That was his harvest. All resources pertaining to the father's house are now gone, wasted. He now only has lack, regret, and shame. Let me tell you one thing for the parents under the sound of my voice today. One of the biggest mistakes that you can make is trying to protect your children from the consequences of their own poor choices. Well, I'm going to say it again. I'm just, I must be two steps in front of you all today, but that's all right. One of the biggest mistakes that parents make is trying to protect their children from the consequences of their own poor choices. Thank God our Father is not like us. Because if you want to leave, you can. We're not going to bar the door. If you want to live foolishly, you can. If you want to live in a sinful life, you can. But God's heart will long for you. God's heart will ache for you. But know this, you will reap what you sow. And the trauma may be far worse than the sinful gratification. I think that's something that all of us need to be reminded of. The passage here in chapter 5 or 15, the part of the tipping point of that passage is that when he was in the field feeding the swine, the Bible says he came to himself. He came to himself. What does that mean? That means he had a revelation. Something quickened inside him. Something, and all, let me tell you, I know people that when they are caught in the deceitfulness of sin, their entire perception is changed. They can't see the same way. They can't talk the same way. The whole world is clouded around them. But I want you to know today that when you're God's and he put his Holy Spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. The Holy Spirit's going to pull on you. The Holy Spirit's going to say, this is not who you are. This is not where you belong. This is not God's best for you. Get up from where you're at and get back to the Father's house. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. Dwelling on the inside of even a backslidden former church member of First Assembly of God. Thank God today that the Holy Spirit yearns inside of us. And I hear the ache of the Holy Spirit in my spirit today. Because there are some under the sound of my voice today. You had not been here in a long time. And you got up this morning not knowing why you came. I know why you came, because yesterday I was praying. God began to bring them. Get them up in the morning. Let them wake up in the morning and for whatever reason, get up and say, let's go back. Our lives are messed up. Our lives are tattered and torn and twisted and traumatic. And it's not pure and it's not holy and everything's not right. But something inside you, like a salmon swimming back to the ground that it was spawned in, I want you to know the Holy Spirit's brought you back to this house today in Jesus' name. Because God sent me down here to tell you that he loves you. He's been missing you. He wants you active in his fellowship. We'll never be as strong as we can be without you. We'll never be as dynamic as we should be without you. Don't let somebody sit in your seat. Get your own place before God and be faithful in the Lord's house. Thank God for the power of the Holy Spirit. The reason the backslitter could never be totally satisfied in the far country is because with God there's hope. Come on, somebody, there's hope. There's hope. Now, very quickly today, the most familiar part of the story, listen to this. I'll calm down if that's what y'all want today. I'll feed you. Whatever you want. I'm a turkey hunter. Whatever you give gobble back, or whatever you come back, I'll give it to you. You want a lot of calling, I'll throw it out at you. I don't care. I as long as you come in on a string, that's all that matters to me. So I will. You're quiet, I'll be quiet. That's all right. As long as you're receptive. That's all I'm looking for today. Let me tell you this. The the most familiar part of the story is the young man's journey home, his repentant prayer, and the father's compassion. The father was willing to restore. Can I say this today, and I'm going to transition. God is faithful. The gifts and the callings of God are without repentance. But often overlooked in the story is the elder brother to whom this parable is actually intended to reveal. The parable is intended to reveal hardness and the deceitfulness of religion in the heart of the Pharisees. Upon hearing of his brother's return and his father's compassion, notice this. Rather than celebrating, he refuses to come into the house. A day earlier, the prodigal was outside the house, caught in sin. Now this day the elder brothers outside the house while the prodigal celebrating in the compassion and the mercy of God. We've got to look deep inside us, church family. So let me tell you, as I, and I'm going to start to close. I'm going to tell you how this message came about here in just a moment. The prodigal allowed lust to pull him out of the father's house. The elder brother let resentment, jealousy, and bitterness take him out of the father's house. His resentment and anger could quickly morph into offense, and Jesus warns us about those who become offended. The the elder brother feels as if the father hasn't celebrated his faithfulness and is rather celebrating the child who wasted half his living. So I want to do something here in just a moment, okay? I'm going to transition to close in just a second, but I'm going to take you into the tipping point of what brought this message here in one minute. Just one minute. I want to share with you how this came about. Because it's different for me. It's it's not my comfort zone. This is not the way I preach on a normal basis. And and all that or on a regular basis. It's a little bit different. But there's something in my heart. I have a compassion. God's awakening a compassion in me. And it's not just for those who have never heard the gospel. But I have a compassion in my heart for those who have. Those who responded. Those who were brought up in church. Those who were taught the good things of God. And then the lure of the world. Or whatever it was, offense or struggle or whatever, it drew them out and they're no longer active in a community of believers. I feel the heart of God towards those individuals today. And guess what? There are some under the sound of my voice today. Because when I look around, I can see, look who's back. You're here because God brought you by his Holy Spirit. He compelled you by his Holy Spirit. I want to do something before I share with you what led to this message. Let's take a moment about the, the, the elder brother. Often faithful people do get overlooked. Can I say that? Can I, is that true? The quiet, steady, faithful, always there. At least by his own, uh, you know, confession, the elder brother always seemed to do the right thing, always seemed to make the right decision. The father said so. He said, you're always here with me. Many times our energies are spent searching for, grieving for, or celebrating the wayward. But the Father said, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is thine. So if you're that faithful person today, let me tell you, all that the kingdom has is yours. It is. God is so gracious. And so as a pastor, I want to say thank you to every person who's never strayed, every person who's always been faithful, always committed, you're always willing to serve, you do everything that we ask you to do and more. Every time the doors are open, you're there. Every time we need a cleanup crew, you're there. Every time we have a ministry need that someone else is unwilling to fulfill, you step up, you're you're there. And you often, because we count on you so much, we fail to appreciate you, we fail to honor you, and today I don't want to be that pastor. I want to say God bless all the faithful men and women of First Assembly of God. Thank you. I love you. I'm so glad to be a part of your life. I'm glad you're a part of my life. You sharpen me and I sharpen you every time we come together. But I want to say this. Guard your heart. Awaken your compassion. Because guess who's coming back? Guess who's coming back? Broken, tattered, torn, lost, lonely, hurting, ashamed, embarrassed, addicted, tangled, and at times deranged. But they're coming back. The Spirit of God is compelling them. Let's go back to the Father's house. And when they get here, they're not going to look like when they left. When they, looked, when they left, they were still fresh from new encounters with God and being discipled. But I'm telling you, the world will tear you up and spit you out. And you'll come back. And the reality is, they will come back with shame. And here's what I wrote, and I want to say this to you, and I'm going to share with you how this message was dictated. It's one thing, For the father to weep over the prodigal. Tears of joy for his return. But it's another thing altogether for his brothers and sisters to weep for his absence. People know, the backslider knows God will receive them. What they fear, I guess I'm going to be courageous enough to say it. What they fear is will the church receive me. That's what they're afraid of. That's what they're... Because they've got the mindset that you want everything to be right when they come back. And you know what? It ain't going to be that way. I know that's not good English, but it is for somebody from Wilmer. Come on, somebody. How will you respond? Here's what they're thinking. I want to be there, but I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. Listen, I wrote it this way. I was trying to get into the mind of the former church member First Assembly, I knew better and still yet I feel prey. You warned me and I didn't listen and I lost it all. And all I have is the Father's compassion. And I know what God's gonna do. The question is, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do, First Assembly, when they come back in groves? What are you gonna do when you say, man, Look what you wasted! All the, no, you can't do that. It can't be about what was. It's got to be about what is. Yeah, right. Did y'all hear me today? It can't be what might have been. It can be what now what can be. Will you smirk? Will you doubt? Will you show contempt? Or will you share the Father's compassion? Will you share the Father's compassion? As I do close here today, let me share with you how this message came about, and we'll couch and. and protect this, this, this very personal conversation that I had with someone, but it wasn't that long ago that someone that used to be a part of our fellowship came back to our fellowship, and I was so excited to see them, and I was having and interacting with them. I'm not going to tell you male or female, I'm going to tell you how tall. I'm not going to tell you who they are, their family. I'm not going to tell you anything. You have no idea who I'm talking about. Only I and the individual have knowledge of this conversation today. And it was an individual that I'd reached out to because I had seen this individual really active and serving and on fire for God. And then after a period of time, remember, it's the slow drift. It's not always just the lure of the world, but the slow drift can lead you to that, the the, the, the thing. And we don't know what somebody does when they go out there. But I tried to be very pastoral, you know, and reach out and just send a text message or a phone call. Do everything that I could, perhaps without going and just dragging them back. I can't do that. I'd like to but I can't. you got to want to be here. you got to want to be in the Father's house. Come on, somebody. And, but this is where Dr. Brestville, something just dropped in my heart in the conversations with this individual. They said, said, I've been coming for a couple of weeks now, and I said, I'm so sorry I didn't see you, but I said, when I put these stupid reading glasses on, why didn't y'all tell me, people, what happened when you had to put them on? I can't always see everybody's face, and I'm being honest with you. I can't And the text is right in front of me, so I'm always seeing. And I was was apologetic, but I was just so excited. And and this individual said, I had a friend of mine come with me doesn't attend church here because I told them, I said, I just need somebody to just kind of help me kind of be there and get started. And then my heart, I said, I'm so sad that somebody felt like they had to bring somebody with them to come back in here and not feel shame and not be embarrassed and not feel like they were alone in a public place. Church, we got to guard ourselves. We can't have the spirit of the elder brother on us. People's lives are not always what we want them to be. But all we can do is show them love, affirmation, compassion i tell you i don't care who you are if you're willing to try i'm right there with you that's all i need now if you're playing games and you're here and there i, I can't help you until you get serious you got to say i want to come back pastor you come we're here we'll be waiting on you in the name of the lord and as i close here today let me close and as daryl joins me on the platform and closing today why would i bring up that passage in second corinthians in 2 Corinthians, that passage, chapter number 2, is written in response to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a letter separated by a few months, a couple of years, I don't know. You'll have to search that out yourself. But in the first letter, Paul addressed very specifically an individual who was sinning uh, uh, willfully. He was uh, in a, uh, a sexually sinful, adulterous relationship with his father's wife. It doesn't get any worse than that. Paul said it that way. He said, this, the Gentiles don't even do these things right paul gave strong word he said you've warned him he's not listening to you you got to put him out of the fellowship why did he say put him out because paul knew that if he was separated from the community of the fellowship then the enemy would come in and the enemy is a destroyer and paul said that his flesh might be destroyed that his spirit might be saved and so through a process through a process of losing everything, like the prodigal, he could have a revelation. Wait a minute, I gotta go back to the Father's house because there's hope in the Father's house. And so, with that being said today, then Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, when he comes back, you gotta forgive him. I don't care what it looked like, you gotta forgive him. And you gotta do more than forgive him, you gotta comfort him, and you gotta let him know that you're glad he's back. And that that you're glad that God's grace was sufficient to bring him from the edge of despair and that that dark place that he lived in. And then lastly, he said, and do one more thing, confirming. What does that mean? Confirming means to publicly acknowledge him and say, man, we are so glad you were here. We were never the same without you. We could have never been as strong. We're not going to be as strong. We're just so glad to have you back in the live stream of the church family. And so I came to this house today to say, wow, look who's back. And not to say it with the scope or the lens of the elder brother that we're frustrated with you. But to say it with a smile, with an ache in our heart. We've been waiting. We've been counting the days. We've been holding our breath. Uh, We couldn't wait for you to open the door. We couldn't wait. for. I know your life's messed up. I know you made poor decisions. I know you still got some addictions. I know you're still uh, doing things you ought not do. But thank God you're here because now we can help you in the name of Jesus. Thank God today, church family. I long for the day that there's not a seat empty at First Assembly because all God's wayward children found their way back to the Father's house. Don't you? Don't you? You've got to guard yourself of the spirit of the elder brother. Don't let that be you. Don't let that be you. Be that elder. What would have happened? Here's how I chose to close this message. What would have happened if Jesus, in telling this parable, had told it this way? And on the day, the father was in the field. The father was, he wasn't in the field. He wasn't working. He had passed that burden off to his son. His son was in the field. The elder son was working. And, you know, they just talked about that morning and said, I wonder what. Let's call the younger son Jojo. Pick on Jojo Day. Let's call him Jojo. And so if they were interacting with each other and saying, I wonder what he's doing today. We haven't heard from him. Don't worry, he's like. I don't know. I don't know what he's like. don't know. I can't imagine. Fear, doubts, all this enters to the, fo- the heart of the father and even to the elder brother. And, and while working, they look up, both of them, and the elder brother's the first to see him, And he yells out. And he says, Dad, look. Look, you can see Jojo's head coming a long way off. <laughs> there he is. There he is right there. He's coming. What if the narrative had said, and the elder brother ran to meet him and fell on his neck. And before the father could even get there, the heart of the elder brother had so mirrored the heart of the father that he too wept on him. That he, when the father said, go and get my robe, the elder brother said, no, I'm going to go get my robe. Dad, let me go get my shoes. I got a brand new pair of Nikes. I'm going to put them on him right here. God, I'm going to get my signet ring. Dad, let me do it because I want to welcome back. What would happen in our churches if we could create that type of atmosphere where we could say, come on back. We're waiting on you. We love you. We love you today. Look who's back, church family. Look who's back. We don't know. There may be one person today that God has led back to this house by his Holy Spirit. And they need to feel the warmth of every person. The love and the willingness to help them walk through the difficult seasons that they're going through right now. Can we have our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Thank God for the love of the Father. But I hope that we can mirror that love. And we as the elder brother can check our spirits. And we can say, God, let not pride, let not anything keep me from not reflecting your love to those who are coming back. I feel like I'm preaching to two different people groups today. I do feel like it's possible under the sound of my voice that there's a prodigal in the house. I don't know who you are. I don't know every, but I do feel like somebody's here. If that's you, you know it. And if you're here today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward. And I'll meet you right here. Because I just want to say, God bless you. Thank you. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, it takes a lot of courage. I know it takes courage. It took courage for that young man to get up and to leave from the pig pen that he had been in and make his way to the Father's house. If You're here today you say, Pastor Brown, that's me. The, the world pulled me away, but today I'm coming back. Today I'm coming back. If that's you, slip your hand up today. Let me see it. I see somebody. see that hand. I see that hand. Is there anyone else Thank you. see that hand today? Come on, is there anyone else or some other hands going? Thank you, thank you. Their hands going up. Oh, I see, them. I see them. I see you today. Now I want to ask you to do something with me today. It's going to take the greatest amount of courage that you've ever done. I want you to run to me right now if you would. I'm going to meet you right here. I'm waiting on you. I'm waiting on you right here. I want you to just come. It's a point of constant. Kind of Pastor, it takes a lot of courage. You're just saying, Pastor, I'm coming back. I'm waiting on you. I've been waiting on you. I've waited on you all the time that you've been gone. I'm here to just say thank you for being here today. I'm so grateful.